Hi, this is Scott Gore from Thin Lizzy, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me in the zoom room today to promote the release of the boys are back in town live, plus the documentary Songs for While I'm Away. Please welcome the guitarist for the legendary band Thin Lizzy, Mr. Scott Gorham. How you doing, Scott? Great, Pat. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. This is great. Uh, look, I'm, I'm excited about this. So this new, uh, this new release drops on June 24th, recorded live in October of 78 at the Sydney Opera House. The band lineup is Phil on bass, Scott and Gary Moore on guitars, and Mark Nassif on drums. Nas- yeah, Nassif. Nassif. So my question is, where was Brian Downey? <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, he decided to quit that, to quit the band uh, about a month before we were supposed to go out, right? So uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of panic ensues, you know, oh my God, are we going to need to cancel? And one of those kind of guys no matter what sort of disaster hit you we were never not going to go out on any tour right so uh what happened was uh somebody in the management got up a list of these kind of uh a drummers you know the vip kind of drummers right and we're going to go to los angeles and we're going to have a jam with them uh you know i guess an audition really yeah well, what, two of them I can't remember, and I'm sorry, they'll probably hate me for the rest of their lives not remembering their names, right? But uh, I do remember one of them was uh, um, Terry, oh, God, I've just, uh, anyway, T- Terry Bozio. Oh, right? okay, from Missing Persons. There you Papa. go, Matt. Great. I mean, he's like a, a top-class drummer. And, yeah. you know, we start the, our kind of mini set in our, jam session there and he had this set down and i could not he had every downy lick under his belt wow thought, wow really this is amazing he's the guy you know and he was okay with the money he was okay with the time frame uh there was a little bit of a problem though he wanted us to fly his girlfriend around with him with everywhere right now we just did not do that right like, take the wives or girlfriends because it was just all business for us right yes okay well next and then we got to mark nasi um and right off the bat his personality just hit perfect you know his sense of humor the way he thought about things Uh, he then got on the drums and he just killed it right and he was the guy you know and if you see on the tape he really is the guy yeah he was great he was fantastic So, but the doors open if Brian Downey wanted to come back, and obviously he does. Well, he did. Uh, there was a little bit of problem. Uh, you know, Phil, both Phil and I loved Mark. We just thought he was yeah. great. You know, uh, so Phil really was thinking Mark Nassif, 
he's going to be our guy, right? Be the new guy. Right. But, you know, I've, I'm always been of that ilk. The more uh, original guys you have in the band, the better, you know, for the fans and all that. They all yeah. want to see a familiar face, even as good as Mark actually was. Hey, Phil, we really need to get Brian back, you know, and uh, it, it took a little bit of, you know, discussion, but uh, he finally relented and I called up Brian and said, hey, what do you think? And he said, absolutely. You know, I think he knew he had made a mistake uh, yeah, mistake by the, the way the way it all went down. So it was all fine after that. And then but then you have to tell Mark that, he, that he's out. Right. 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 What a terrible moment that is. Right? Yeah, that's not good. He just came in and <laughs> saved your ass. Right. He saved the day. Right. And he did such a wonderful job. And like you say, you can see it on the on the tape. And then, yeah, we had to tell Mark. And, yeah, you know, he was he was shattered because he knew we were all great friends now. We had been through the wars together, maybe a short war, but it was still, you know, it yeah. was tough. And uh, I think he was shattered. He, he still loves Thin Lizzy today. You know, he will not say a bad word about the whole thing. And he really loves this concert also, the way it got mixed and all that. Yeah. So. In the end, it was all kind of happy days and the handshakes and all that. Good. Good to know. Now, here's my question about the show. It's a 13-track set list. Is that the entire show, or were there some songs edited out for this release? Uh, no, there was no editing done. <laughs> you remember, these we had lost the tapes, of uh -huh. the audio and the visual for, you know, a, a few decades. Yeah. Really. There was a couple of people. One had the the visual tapes and somebody else had the audio side and, you know, thank God they did really. Cause uh, who knows what would have happened to them, but it was the way they were stored. You know, some of the uh, songs, uh, the tapes were oxidized. So completely destroyed. We couldn't use them. Uh, the same with the, you know, the visuals, uh, the couple of the visuals were just so unusable. We just right. couldn't use them. But uh you know, the way I think it's, you know, we, we, we brought the rest of the uh, uh, the concert up to such a great level. I, I'm pretty sure the Lizzie fans and maybe we'll get a new bunch of fans from this, too. I think they'll forgive us for not showing the whole, the whole set. You know, at least, at least that's what I'm hoping. All right. Cool. Cool. Now, I'm going to go through the track list, but I'm not going to go through it in the order that it was played. I'm going to go through it chronologically so that way we can touch on your tenure in Thin Lizzy, if that makes sense. Man, yeah. you're going to be testing my memory there, buddy. Well, I'm not going to ask <laughs> you anything. question. I won't ask you anything too difficult, I promise. <laughs> so, right. you play Still in Love with You. That's from 1974's Nightlife. I think I'll fall if I don't find something else to do The sadness never ceases That was your first time in the studio with Thin Lizzy, right. working with Ron Nevison. Uh, now, was that really your first time in big studio recording, things like that? Uh, actually, no, it wasn't. I, I had done a couple of things in Los Angeles, but, uh, you know, I was so young and the, and the bands that, that I was in, you know, they were never destined to do anything, right? But this was my actual first bona fide album that, uh, that I'd worked on and, and helped write a few of the songs, uh, uh, you know, played, you know, guitar on these other ones that I'm that in Los Angeles, I was actually playing bass. You know? So this was my first wow. shot at, you know, I'd, I'd been playing guitar for a while, but it was my first shot at playing guitar on an album. Right. So, yeah, it, it was, it was my first album. Uh, and uh, it was the first time I'd written a song for an album. 
And, and it's one of, was, uh, it yeah, one of my, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's the opening track, She Knows. That's right. You're very good. Yeah. Um, When you see it, Mother Mary, I need you quick. She knows, and she gives her everything. She knows, and she can do her thing. She knows, and she tries her best. She knows, oh, you know. I played this riff at uh, one of the rehearsals and Phil looked up at me and said, uh, is that yours? And I said, <laughs> you know, and he said, well, do you have anything? Is there any more to that song? And I said, oh, well, yeah. And I played him more. Uh, and he, he loved the, uh, the whole rhythmic side of it. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you mind if I write some lyrics to this? And I went, are you kidding? Absolutely. So what's really cool about that? It's my first album. The first, uh, song that I'd written, written with uh, Phil Liner, and it turns out to be the opening track on, on that album. So uh, it's a very cool intro to the world of making albums. Very cool. And I guess that's what happens a lot with guitars. They're noodling around or playing a riff that they've had in their head, and someone says, wait a minute, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, because sometimes you really don't know what you have, you know? Yeah. Uh, like you say, you, you've had it for a while, uh, and maybe, maybe you're so used to it maybe you're even kind of a little bored with it because you've played it so often right but it takes one person to go you know hey that's pretty cool man i think we can do something with that and when you do something with it and it comes out pretty nice that is a very very cool feeling that's a gift there now uh ron nevison produces this album big time producer what did uh what was ron like in the studio well we never used him again (laughs) <laughs> okay, so I guess that's very telling right there. <laughs> he was very controlling, you know. Uh, I, I remember, obviously, the rehearsals that we had for this album, and all all guitars are on stun kind of thing. Uh, but when we got in with, with Ron, you slap your guitar and it, you know, hit that first note, and you go, oh, oh wait a minute, can you, can you just turn it down a little bit? Uh, yeah, okay. Then you start again and go, oh, oh, wait a minute, can you just turn it down just a little bit more, right? No. I'm looking at him going, really, man? Yeah, yeah, just, just go ahead. Yeah, just turn that down. And to the point he did it on all the tracks, you know, and it all the, to me, all the tracks, they all lost all the heaviness, all their kind of meaning. Yeah. And to, to the point where I, I, I dubbed it the cocktail album, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's put on some nice light music here, right? Yeah. And, you know, we never used them again. And so that was it for Ron. But it, for us, anyway. All right. Well, let's move on. Another song that's in the set list of this live show that people are going to be able to buy in June is the song Suicide. It comes from the 1975 album Fighting, which was produced by Phil. The people call it suicide. Bullet from a 45. Nobody cared, nobody cried. Don't that make you feel sad? And for me, this is probably the album when the signature two guitar sound is fully realized. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I'd, I'd go along with that. You know, that was uh, uh, a song written before I got in the band. So yeah. I think 
Eric Bell as the as the trio. Yeah. They actually actually started that song and we actually finished it, right? We put a lot of extra bits in there, uh, a lot more energy into it. Uh, and like you say, now because the two the two guitars, we were able to, you know, put the different harmony guitars in there and all that to, you know, just kind of further further that song on. Uh, there's <clears throat> there's only so much you can do in a trio. So yeah. When, when we got our hands on it, uh, we were able to do this and that, and hey, let's go over here, let's put a harmony on that side of it over there. I, I didn't really mind that it, that it was written by another version of, yeah. of the band, but uh, as long as we could put our own stamp on it, that's that was fine with me. And, uh, and again, with this album, Fighting and Phil producing, the guitars are turned up, and <laughs> this is, for me, this is when the Thin Lizzy sound of your era really gets kicking. Well, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, we were finally kind of let loose a little bit to, to show everybody more uh, of what we can, could do. I, I think Brian Robertson came out really well on yeah. that album. He was able to stretch out more. Uh, I think Lee guitar wise, I was still kind of learning my way into the system kind of thing. I'll be the first to admit that. Right. And that's what was so great about being able to play with all these really great players. You know, you're standing up on stage with the Gary Moores, the Bryans, uh, the Sykes's, you know, all these guys. And I could actually not, not, not necessarily steal from them, but I, I could use some of their ideas and use it in my own format. Right. Yeah. So and, and I've always said, if you don't learn from people who are better than you, then you're a fool. Right. If you don't take anybody, anything away from these really great players, then you really are a foolish person, you know. Absolutely. So it was, I always call it that. It was my school of rock, you know. Uh, it's where I, I actually learned the craft was in Thin Lizzy. And, you know, something a lot of other guys did too. Most of them, I would say, not most, I'd say everybody that came in and out of Thin Lizzy became not only a better person, but they became a better player, uh, a better songwriter, just kind of a better everything. You know? So it was a good school for everybody. That's cool. Uh, and you have two co-writes on the album Fighting, King's Vengeance and Freedom Song. All right, let's move on. Yeah, yeah King's, I, I love, I, I redid King's Vengeance on the uh, one of our uh, uh, 21 Guns albums. That's right, I forgot about that. Yeah, because I said, you know, that it's not really quite right. It was never quite right the way we did it as Thin Lizzy. So I wanted to put that I don't want to say wrong, but I wanted to put it a little bit more right, you know, with uh, the, more of a modern twist on it. So that's why I did that. cool achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door treatment costs thousands less than braces plus they offer flexible financing accept eligible insurance and you can pay with your hsa fsa Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There's four songs in the set list from Jailbreak. We got Jailbreak. We got Warriors. We got Cowboy Song. We got The Boys Are Back in Town. The set list kicks off with Jailbreak, which for me is very ballsy. It's one of your biggest songs. And now the band has to follow themselves so to speak. Hey. 
Also, uh, most bands that have a big hit record, they will end up with their big hit record. Right. We did that. We always put, say, like the boys are back in town. We always put it in the middle of the set. Right. Because right? we always figured that if you're only as good as that one song, you're not worth a shit anyway. Right. So you Me got too. to follow it up and, and, and play great through the, through the whole set. So you, you can't be all about one song. Right. True. So, you know, we made it, made sure that that song, didn't get any more highlighted than any other song in the set. So that's why we put a smack dab in the middle. And then we tried to build from there. That's kind of telling people that you guys feel that all your songs are good. They're all equal. Anything can be played anywhere. Well, you know, that, that was a train of thought with us. You know, you know, you, you can't listen to one song, people. You got to, you got to listen to the whole thing. It's why today the, you know, the streaming thing, you know, you know the musicians are going out there and beating their, beating their heads on the ground, you know, producing these albums and people go on to the street and just play one track, you know, yeah. and they're missing out on so many other really great tracks. And this are like a dedicated fan and they will go out and buy the album. But um, it's, to me, that's a little sad, you know, because musicians really do put their heart and soul into these albums and, and on every track and you want every track to be heard. And uh, these days it's really not so much the case, which is, unfortunate yeah well yeah i'm still an album guy that's why i loved your tenure in black star riders i thought that every one of those albums got better 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 so thank you thank you we can't fill up back together back in the days of no surrender wishing things would only get better but they never do Now, the song Jailbreak, my friends and I have had fun with one of these lyrics for years. The opening lyric says, tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in the town. Now, Scott, I imagine that jailbreak's going to be at the jail, right? That, that's absolutely right. You know, I, you know, I love Phil and I love his lyrics and he <laughs> never stubs his toes on, on any of this, but he did that time, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> But the song, the riff is so good, you just overlook it. You just you yeah. Just... Well, but that single line has been picked out so many times. So many people taking the piss out of that, right? Yeah, and rightly so. I mean, even Phil, after he heard the you know the the first couple of jibes out, even he had to laugh. He goes, you know, yeah. I didn't have anywhere to go with, with that <laughs> with the lines. So I just put it in, you know. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Still a yeah. classic.
During this concert, when Phil introduces Warriors, he says that that's for Jimi Hendrix. And I never knew that until now. I didn't know that. He was a massive Jimi Hendrix fan. Absolutely massive, right? I'm going to do a song that was written for Jimi Hendrix. This one. It's a song called Warriors. It goes like this. told me one day that there was a, a director and producer that came along and, and wanted him to play uh, Hendrix I in that rumor. bio, right? And I said, yeah, but Phil, uh, Jimmy's left-handed, you're right-handed. He went, yeah, well, that's kind of where it fell down, right there. <laughs> <laughs> it never got taken any further. But I think, you know, so I think he would have he done a really good job with that. If Hendrix was right-handed, if I think Phil would have could have could have pulled it off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, chin, chin and all, you know uh, the whole thing. Yeah, the, amazing. Such look, such an amazing looking front man. All that talent, and then the way Phil holds the spotlight is just incredible. There's no one like him. Oh, he owned it. He owned. Uh, it. He owned the spotlight. Uh, the one of the really great traits of Phil is he did not want to be the Lone Ranger up there. He wanted each guy in the band to have spotlights, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, he felt, you know, band members who were uh, known in their own right was going to make a much stronger unit than, than the audience just knowing one guy, right? Right. So he actually went out of his way to promote each and every guy in the band, you know? I mean, we all, we all went off and did our own interviews and got on TV shows by ourselves and all that. And uh, he was really, he loved all that. So, like I said, he wanted everybody to have their own spotlight. So you don't see, you don't see too many singers that want to kind of share the spotlight with, you know, the guys that are, that are back by their amps in the shadows. You yeah. know? What usually happens is the guy, the front man, he's doing all the press, he's doing all that. And then he starts to get resentful. Like, why am I doing all this work? And then, then they go off into a solo project and the band ends. So, right, I think that, right. I think that, but they should be glad about that because it brings more spotlight to them because you yeah. were the guy that chose them to be in the band. And, you know, it just kind of absolutely goes on. Mm-hmm. All right. There's two songs in the set list from uh, the album Johnny the Fox. We got Don't Believe a Word, which is killer. Johnny the Fox meets Jimmy the Weed. Johnny the Fox! He called to Jimmy the Weed. He said, hey man, I know your name. I seen you cruising with the lowriders. Around the bay, I got a crazy DJ. 
Here's my question about the Johnny the Fox album. Jailbreak comes out in March 1976, and then Johnny the Fox comes out a few months later in October. Why release another studio album so quickly when Jailbreak is doing so well? It's basically your big breakthrough. No, you're absolutely right. What were we thinking? You know, uh, I think that was uh, management getting kind of greedy. You know, hey, let's let's put another album out there instantly. And then guess what? You guys will never come off the road, right? We were <laughs> always pounded into our psyche that if you ever came off the road, everybody was going to forget about you. They would yeah. keep on saying this uh, to the point where we were almost kind of believing it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays, bands will take two years off before uh, coming out with a new album and then go out and do the big worldwide tour. But back then, it was uh, kind of a completely different way of thinking, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it was. The, the yeah. management, at least at least 50% of the management anyway, were a little bit greedy and they figured the more albums out, the more money they were going to get kind of deal. I don't, I don't think it did us <clears throat> any harm, but on the other hand, I don't think it did us any good either. Yeah. I think we should have waited that, had that lapse of time before we brought out the next album. So, because what it did is it put that much more pressure on the album after that. Yeah. Because uh, we had no songs really ready to get up and go for that for that next album, you know, which what was it? Was that Black Rose? I think it was, right? Which one? The uh, after jo- uh, Johnny the Fox. Bad Reputation was next. Ah, okay, right with oh. Tony Visconti. Right, who helped out a lot on that album? Uh, I I have to admit. So. Okay, today. That's the word out on this town That gives a certain fascination But it can only bring you down You better turn yourself around Turn yourself around Turn it upside down Turn yourself around That bad place both both Phil and uh, Tony were just encouraging me like hell because I wasn't sure if I was maybe ready to be the Lone Ranger guitar player kind of thing and both Phil and, and Tony were going absolutely you're wrong you you are the guy you know and, uh, you know, the further we got into the album, the more the writing that Phil and I got into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely got, to, you know, my confidence up and running. And it, uh, I think it actually turned out to be a really cool album with a lot of great songs on it. You know, so. Yeah, it really is. And um, what would, did Tony have a vision for the band when he came in? A vision? Uh, well, no, I, he, well, if he did, he never told me about it. No, I think Tony was the kind of guy whatever project he was on, he wanted to make that the best that it could possibly possibly be at that moment in time. Uh, vision, I will give you an example of like, did he have a vision with somebody else? Well, here's the problem. Now I don't even know what I'm talking about, Scott. <laughs> okay. At least you're honest. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, the song waiting for an alibi, which you guys played live in Australia. That, that song wasn't even released yet. No. And no, uh, you're right. And it was uh the fans welcomed it with open arms because that's a killer track. Right. Yeah. 
I think what happened, we had done, just done uh, the Black Rose album and this tour came up, right? Yeah. So uh, we went out and we decided, well, you know, the album's not even out, so let's not really play any of the songs off it, right? But, you know, let's, let's give a little taster of, you know, what's to come and, and waiting for an alibi, uh, you know, ourselves and the record company to figure, well, this is going to be a great single. Yeah. Which it turned out to be. It was a really successful song uh, on the charts and all that. But yeah, that'll be the the only song from from the Black Rose album. <laughs> now, this is a, this is the first album you guys make without Brian Robertson. Were you guys feeling invigorated with Gary Moore in the studio? Because I just that guy was fantastic. Killer guitar player. I mean, killer player. And he came up with great parts, you know. I mean, you mentioned Wait for an Alibi there. So, okay, it's my solo, right? And Gary says, well, let's, let's do a little tag thing on the end. Which is kind of uh, to get it right. And then you then you do it on the upscale also, right? All the way up, right? Which, uh, you know, fingering-wise and timing-wise and all that, that, that takes some practice and some work. It? But when he first showed it to me, I went, Really, Gary? Really? <laughs> but uh, you showed it to me, and uh, with you know three or four goes, I had it, and we put it down, and, and it was fine, right? But but now you got to do it every night on tour. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> Uh, one of the songs that you co-wrote on Black Rose is Got to Give It Up, song about yeah. addiction. of your addiction and Phil's addiction at the time you write this song? We were probably about equal at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we were in uh, Paris recording this, uh, the Black Rose album. And, uh, you know, sometimes at night we, we'd go out to a club or whatever. And uh, it was, I gotta say, you know, drug dealers were, Phil was a magnet for these guys, right? Yeah. And, uh, here's this and here's that and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, one afternoon he calls me up in my room and says, hey, man, you know, why don't you come down? I've got something I want to show you. Okay. So he comes down, pulls out the little packet. I look at it. He goes, you know what that is? I went, yeah, man, I know exactly what that is. Because I'd already been doing it in Los Angeles before I even got there. And England kind of saved my life so I wouldn't have to be around that anymore. And there it is right in front of me. And one of my best friends in the whole world is holding it, right? She so said, so uh, <clears throat> do you want to try some? I went, yeah, you know, and that was us kind of kind of off and running in the wrong yeah. direction, if you will. But, right? you, but you guys write a song about addiction while you're both using drugs. It's so you knew that you knew that you had a problem that you had to kick 
And yet, yeah, you knew it was wrong. You, you knew it was wrong. Uh, and, and why are we doing this? Uh, well, most of it was because it was fun at the time. You know? Right, of course. All that stuff is. It's great fun in the beginning. And then you start to get into the middle stages, and now it starts to become a problem. And later on, it's a real problem, right? Yeah. But uh, I think it was kind of prophetic on Phil's side to know that we got to give this we got to give this stuff up. This is this is going to be the road to nowhere. It's not going to do us any good. We've got to give it up, right? Yeah. I did find that a bit funny when he came up with you know the lyrics for this, right? But yeah, I kind of got it. You had to you had to get it, you know. So yeah, everyone, everyone has their thing that they want to give up, whether it's uh, a coffee or a two coke nicotine afternoon, yeah, nicotine, whatever it is. I'm 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 still doing it, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's one of the most addictive ones is what they tell me. It, it really is. And I'm such a lily-livered, weak person. I've been sucking on that e-cigarette for like 15 years. You know, you're supposed to wean yourself off of this stuff, for God's sakes, you know? Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. So uh, we only have a, I, I got a, just a, sadly, only a couple more minutes with you, Scott. I want to talk about, um, you left Black Star Riders. I think you said you wanted to concentrate on Thin Lizzy projects is that true uh well i said i want to try to right okay. the the problem with the <clears throat> the whole thin, thin lizzie thing these days is i love the idea of uh well-known guys from well-known bands you know coming in and and playing the you know all the thin lizzie songs because yeah. nearly all of these guys they're all thin lizzie fans and they all have their thin lizzie songs that they love to play and they'd love to be up there in that situation playing right. them themselves right but that's you know it was pretty easy to find a lot of these guys you know, but I realize now that uh, on a couple of those tours how lucky we were in our timing because yeah. everybody else has a day job right and it's what pays the mortgage and keeps their kids in shoes or whatever not like <laughs> most of these guys need that money anyway right but there's a real uh, scheduling problem right yeah. so. The all these balls trying to get you know everybody on the same page at the same time uh is a really tough thing to do so uh, yeah i would like to do it again absolutely but uh it's going to have to be all those ducks lined up kind of thing and figure out who when and where and what and why and blah 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 you know so it's uh i know it's a terrible answer Pat, I know it's you no, know, it makes sense. A I real crap sit on the fence kind of answer, but it's no. only good right now. Look, you, the last time you guys went out, you had Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith, you got Scott Travis from Judas Priest. Those guys yeah. have commitments with their big bands, so I understand. Yeah, and yeah. you know, go. yeah, and then Ricky's new Black Star Riders album's coming out in January, but there's going to be 10th anniversary reunion shows in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be part of those some of those shows. Uh, yeah, I will be uh, on some of them because I want to get up <clears throat> and help them celebrate, you know, the, the 10th anniversary. Uh, after all, it was Ricky and I that started BSR and all that. Yeah. And, uh, it's a lovely night in downtown Babylon. The contract for blood ain't worth the paper that it's on. To the dark side of the road with the junkies playing hide. It's a one-way ticket Slow down so sad Don't you turn your back on me Don't you turn your back Don't you turn your back Mine eyes are still the glory Of the coming of the fools But all hell breaks loose All hell breaks loose I walk a murder mile Wearing dead man's It'd be terrible if I didn't get up there, at least do a couple of songs with them, you know. So yeah, and Rick, 
still, he's still one of my best friends ever. I love the guy to death. Uh, I love everybody that actually went through that band. Uh, it's the reason they got into the band because they're really cool guys and they're really great musicians, right? So why wouldn't you want to get up there and do at least a, a couple of songs? Uh, yeah, exactly. Go around the country. So yeah, that's that's my plan is to, uh, I'm sure, you know, when and where, uh, you know, these gigs are going to be, but uh, be assured that I will get up there at certain times. Excellent. Uh, last question. It's kind of a sideways question. It's an Asia question. Oh, God. <laughs> because in 1990, you play on an Asia song when they were between guitarists. You played on the song Summer Can't Last Too Long. At that time, were you asked to join Asia? Here's what happened, right? Uh, you know, the two boys came and asked me, would I help them out with uh, some demos? Because they needed to, uh, you know, present them to the record company. And they came up with this fantastic number of, of how much money they were going to get through the whole thing. And they, But they just didn't have the guitar player. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go into the, in the studio and do the demos. But, you know, and I think I only played like, on two tracks yeah and uh and there were demos now you gotta remember when you're doing demos it's a frame of mind where you go you, you get the whatever the solo up to a certain scratch right and you go well okay listen that's good enough it kind of gives you it gives you the idea of you know where this was going it doesn't have to be perfect okay and they were going yeah no it's great it's fine thank you so much right and then the next thing I know, it's on the album. It's released. Okay. <laughs> this, this demo. And I, I call up John. I said, John, what's going on here? Um, that was a demo. He goes, yeah, you know, but, you know, we liked it so much. and We couldn't find anybody else to do it right. Man, geez, I hope you don't mind. I went, well, not much I can do about it now. No. I wish you would have said something, you know, but. You're <laughs> right. And so, so everybody, I, I've had this question a lot. Like, we're. So you were in Asia? No, no. I was not in Asia. <laughs> so that's your answer. That's the right. long, long version. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Again, June 24th, everyone, can you can pre-order it now. The boys are back in town live. Plus, it's got the documentary Songs for While I'm Away featuring Scott Gorham. This will be the hardest question, maybe, Scott. I want you to tell me what song from Scott Gorham's career would you like me to use as the playout song today? Wow. How about the song, We Will Be Strong? I love it. Thanks so much, Scott. Continued success. I hope to see you down the road sometime again. And please enjoy We Will Be Strong. Thank you, man. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you.